Hello and welcome again to another episode of Fekava uh, Vet Chat. Um, we go to the UK today um, to visit um, a charity, a veterinary charity that is looking after the pets of homeless people. And with me is one of the co-founders of this charity, Jade Stat. So hello and welcome to Fekava Vet Chat, Jade. Hi. Hi, thanks very much for having me on. Yes, yes, thank you very much. Um, it's, uh, it's so that you are not only the co-founder, but you're also the clinical director and you're also a brand ambassador for, for Street Vet. Yeah, like a, a full title. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, all these, all these positions. Yeah, indeed. So, thank you very much for agreeing to this interview. And I mean, for those of uh, us who are working in the UK, um, uh, we have all heard about sort of street bed but for our uh, continental um, listeners and viewers i think this is a very very interesting concept uh, that might actually sort of be of, of of a lot of interest for for, for colleagues abroad as well yeah. so can you first tell me a little bit about sort of your background um and before we go then into street vet so you yeah, you're yeah. a veterinary surgeon where, where did you study um i qualified in to glasgow vet school in 2002 so 20 mm. years qualified mm. um and yeah i just went in straight into small animal practice um always been a small animal vet so generally I locumed a little bit, but mostly in, yeah, in clinical practice. I did a, well, it's a, another charity very close to my heart, but um, I was a director for VetLife, so the mm -hmm. mental health charity in the UK for vets. Um, mm -hmm. And other than that, yeah, just, I guess, very interested in wanting to volunteer. Always had that in my mind, um, that I wanted to volunteer and give back my skills but found it something that wasn't that easy to do in the UK um, at the time. Um, obviously, you can hop on a plane um, and go abroad and do things through the Worldwide Victory Service and that kind of volunteering. But uh, yeah, I was kind of decided that I wanted to do it in the UK. Um, but that was just, yeah, in the background. Um, mm -hmm. And then and then Street Bet happened. So, mm -hmm. so how did that how did that start? Did you start that in Scotland or? Um, no, I, I, I started it in London. Um, mm. So I, I moved down to London. I um, was in London for about 14 years. Um, qualified Glasgow, but immediately started working um, down south. And yeah, it, it was, I like to say, a beautiful accident, to be honest. Uh, it wasn't planned as none of these things really are. Um, but yeah, I was going through a bit of a rough time with my own dog. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer and yeah, I guess I approached most of my veterinary decision-making with what would I do if it was Oakley? So that was my dog's name. And I was out on the street, um, on a night out and I met a homeless gentleman called Dave and his dog called Brick, um, which I think is a great name. Um, but it was just in talking to him and seeing what an amazing sort of relationship they had and how worried he was about this dog. It didn't have anything seriously wrong. It just had itchy skin, but he was, yeah, just beside himself with responsibility as to how he was going to get 
their stove the treatment that it needed. And I guess in my brain at the time and what was going on with my dog, you know, I'd spoken to like 10 oncologists, you know, he'd had all the treatment he could have. And I just was like, oh my God, like, what would I do if I was in your position? And that was Oakley. And I felt a bit ignorant, to be honest, because I'd never really thought about how people experiencing homelessness accessed veterinary care. Because you, I mean, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but certainly in the UK, it's not uncommon to walk past someone experiencing homelessness that has a dog. We've all done it, and especially in some of the bigger cities. And yeah, I just walked away really frustrated because I was just like, if I had what I needed in my bag, I could have, you know, taken away that stress for him and, you know, treated the dog's skin and, and that would have made such a massive impact on his life for something that would be fairly, in my head at the time, straightforward to do. Um, so, yeah, that was my that was my catalyst for Street Bit. So, I went away from that thinking, okay, what do I need to do to make, how do I do this? <laughs> how do I do this and still be within guidelines and the college support it and insurance and all the things that you have to think about. So yeah, it, it wasn't immediate. It obviously, as you can imagine, it takes time to get all the, the right things um, achieved. But by Christmas, so that was in like summer 2016. So by mm. about Christmas time, I was out on the street um treating treating dogs mm -hmm. and uh, how did you do that um uh how did you do that say where did you get the medication where did you get the equipment from 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 your own practice or no, i or mean I've, I've never owned a practice um yeah. so i am um, I, i was always a um you know an assistant in a practice so It was a case of, at the beginning, um, whoever, I was just lucky enough that somebody who answered the phone, because um, I phoned around all the major charities in the UK at the time, um, they were interested in exploring what it was I was suggesting doing. So that happened to be the Blue Cross um, in the UK in London. And so when I very, very, this is before I met Sam, so my co-founder, um, I was kind of, I guess, a representative where I would go out um, and assess eligibility on the street. Um, so I was kind of under the umbrella of the Blue Cross at the very, very beginning. Um, so the medication and all of that was sourced through them and also the out of hours um, was through them. Um, and then before long, to be honest, it was fairly clear that the need was a lot bigger than just me wandering around with the backpack on. Um, and there was an article, I think we were on the news, something happened that made it kind of spiral. Um, and we ended up getting so many people emailing in vets and nurses saying, we need this where I live. Um, how can I do what you're doing? So it, it didn't take long um so that was 2016 in 2017 in april 2017 we became a not-for-profit um and i met sam in between those two times um heard about him he was going out with the backpack on also in london um and we met up and we're like you know we need to do this is bigger than me this is bigger than you let's you know see if we can do this together so it didn't take again long before we realized that although the Blue Cross have been super helpful and they still help us now 
that actually we needed to be um, an independent charity in, in our own right, because um, the thing about StreetBet is we've had to be so agile and flexible, and whereas, as you probably know, but if you're in a big charity like the Blue Cross or PDSA or, you know, decision making take, takes a long time, and we were just being outstripped by, by the need. So we really kind of, yeah, we, we went out on our own, really, um, and then applied to be a charity um, and became a charity in uh, January 2019. I mean, for, <laughs> for those who are not working in the UK, just to, to explain, I mean, it's yeah. so that obviously the, the most practices are privately funded. And in most cases, because veterinary medicine is not cheap, a lot of pets over here are insured. Mm -hmm. So because of that, sort of, we've, it, 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 it's not cheap to, to get veterinary care in the UK. Um, an alternative or of some help uh, is in charities like Blue Cross, the PDSA, RSPCA also, right. uh, who run some clinics, but they are not always available. And the problem is also uh, to get treatment that you often have to prove that you right. have um, a, um, a need and it's also very often so that with homeless people sort of they they might think or they might know yes there are these clinics but they not necessarily go to these places so uh, what you do is sort of you go actually out in the evening or at night I don't know when or, or also during the day on I, I don't know so with a backpack with equipment and you treat uh, your patients actually on the spot wherever somebody who is homeless is at the moment sort of uh, 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 yeah staying or sitting mm -hmm. yeah so again um, steepest learning curve of my life but um, mm -hmm. in terms of why you know because as you rightly said so PDSA, RSPCA, Blue Cross you know they exist to help people and it's not to say that if somebody experiencing homelessness turned up at one of these clinics to ask for help that they wouldn't be helped but the biggest there's so many barriers for them in doing that so one is um you know that slightly intimidation factor um of actually turning up and having to prove you're homeless because you don't you know they'll ask for benefit or they'll ask and, and they they don't have it you know if they're staying in a hostel then they may have benefit because they're they've got some address that they can write down but if they are actually sofa surfing or sleeping in a tent rough sleeping they have nothing to prove that they're homeless so that's the biggest barrier because how do you prove it so what street bit is about essentially was um removing that issue because we were able to assess eligibility because we were physically within the community and we were working with uh, other organizations so whenever we set up a soup a street bit sorry we we work with a grassroots organization so a soup kitchen or or something like that so we don't advertise where we are we don't um talk about it it's literally it's a known thing with within the community but i think you know other reasons why our clients struggle to go into a veterinary clinic is also a lot of them have got quite severe mental health anxiety social anxiety fear of being asked for donation that they don't have a little bit of shame you know so we kind of thought well the best way to overcome that is really about making them feel as comfortable as they can by getting to know us so that's 
why street vet we don't you know it's not about if you volunteer for street vet you're not going to see 30 animals in a night but maybe that one or that two that you see that owner is going to get to know you and the next time you're there and the next time you're there until eventually they'll be like okay yeah you can help my dog or you can help me get the dog a dental or because yeah it, it's it's a completely different way of vetting that I've never really thought about because whenever we're in practice people bring their animals to us right they want mm. to help whereas we're mm. out there going can we help you and there's an immediate defensiveness because the people we're working with ultimately are very isolated they wouldn't yeah. be in the situation they were in if they had an amazing you know network they probably so many other things have happened and they their trust is really hard to to um to gain you know it, it mm. takes time um but when you gain it the things that you can achieve it might seem such a small thing to anyone else but you know we managed to microchip their dog um that's just completely changed something so important for them that they now feel like you know they've done a responsible thing for their pet so yeah street bits it's small wins i mean sometimes it's massive wins but it's the small wins that that all add up really so when you um how do you organize with that with shifts sort of there are sort of set working times but you said sort of it's but it's not so that you say, okay, at seven o'clock in the evening, I will be at that square and at eight o'clock, I will be here, I will be there. It's more so that you go at random and depending on the cases you know about, you, you might a, make your rounds through the known sites where homeless people are or... It's, it's very um, consistent. So we have, we have got 17 locations across the UK so each location has their own uh, routine to fit with, obviously, the area that they're in. But um, we, as I say, will work alongside a soup kitchen. So if the soup kitchen is out every night, Monday night between 7 and 8, Street Bet will be there Monday night, 7 and 8. And some, some outreaches do, some teams, sorry, will do every week. Some teams do every fortnight. Some teams do, you know, the first Monday of every month. And it's just about being consistent and everybody around the community knowing when we're going to be there. But also when we register a client, um, they all get a tag that they can put on the collar of their pet, which has got a free phone 0800 number. So it doesn't mm. cost them any money. And that's how they get in touch with us outside of that, you know, those those predetermined times that we're, that we're going to be out. Um, so, I mean, during the pandemic, like that was that was the hardest thing for us um, because all of the soup kitchen stopped. So all of the continuity stopped and we had all these people who've been relying on us for medication, food, and we didn't know how to get in touch with them. So mm. we sent out a massive text to, but again, a lot of our clients, they don't all have phones. Some of them don't have power or battery or credit, but um, the calls to our 0800 number went up by over 100% during the pandemic. And that was just people being like, where are you guys? Like, I, I'm struggling. I don't have food. I don't have, you know. So, um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and um, you do that now full time for StreetVet? Um, or are you also, do you also do um, another job at a... At a yeah. private practice or so something. I, I went full time um, for Street Bet in 
oh let me get my life in order 2018 mm. um mm. and so I let what somebody had to if me or Sam somebody had to uh, go full-time so I've been a vet for longer so I felt that was fair he was more at the beginning of his career so I left to do it um and I went back to practice about a year ago one one day a week so um so I always said I needed to go back because I, I miss it too much um so I do street bit um every other day of the week um and I, I work in practice on a Monday okay 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 but it is really so I mean it it, 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 it how many how many street bed centers do you have now I mean it's over, over 10 15 uh, yeah, yeah 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 so I mean you can't do that just on a voluntary basis and I think no. that's just not no. at some point just not possible mm. I mean the volunteers are the fuel that keeps it you know there yeah I mean we've got over 400 people uh, vets and nurses mm. who are doing mm. this um around around the UK um my job now is very much about um like I I'm in charge really of all the partnerships that street that has so with various pharmaceutical companies or um you know food companies speaking to the vets speaking to the veterinary practices um and doing yeah media stuff press stuff all that kind of thing mm -hmm. and at the clinical director bit comes down to i speak to a lot of the vets about the cases or if any of the volunteers are worried about a case they want to talk it through because with street vet it's um yes absolutely the cases are similar because we're seeing animals usually with problems exactly as you'd expect to find um in general practice but it's the, um, I guess, contextualized veterinary care, if you want to look at it like that, you've got to think about everything else. So the owner's abilities, the environment, um, and yeah, just work out what's what's the best thing that we can do to help both of them together, really. How do you do that now with the medication? Are these uh, also donations or do you buy also now from the funds you get sort of uh, drugs in? How do you do that with, say, um, uh, um, uh, recorded drugs and things like that? So opioids and things like yes. that. How, how does that all work? <laughs> so when Streetbet started, it was a case of, OK, let's get some meetings. So I had so we've got the veterinary medicines directorate, so the BMD. Um, we've also got our the veterinary liability insurance people of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. So I had a lot of meetings with people just to say, right, how do I do this? That it's right and that I'm not going to be putting anybody at risk. And what's the best way to do it? So it was decided that the best way to do it was for street vet, um, each street vet location to be practiced in its own right. So mm. each location is registered with the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons as practice. Um, they are hosted somewhere. So when I first started street vet, um, street vet London was um, my garage. Um, <laughs> so, so I had like a VMD inspection to my garage and all these things, whereas mm. Now, most of the practices choose to be co-hosted. So uh, maybe somewhere they work will be like, OK, you know, street vet can be co-hosted here, which basically means that that's where the drugs get delivered um, and the drugs are stored. Um, but obviously, we still are in charge of our own veterinary medicines directorate inspection. So I'm sure, yeah, so we have an inspection um, every 
three years now, yeah, three or four years, um, as they do in any practice to check how you're storing their drugs and um, temperature control, all, you know, all the, all the things you need to do. So the other thing obviously is we have our own insurance. Um, so we have um, obviously public indemnity and employee liability and the veterinary insurance. Um, we have to make sure we provide IVERS care. So um, again, we have a triage service during the day. So um, we have a telemedicine service that help us in the day. Um, and then in the evening, we have a call and call handlers that then divert the calls to our IVERS. So the IVERS are different, obviously, depending where in the UK they're calling from. Um, so in answer to your question, we have 17 um, different accounts. Um, and we or I we order centrally um, through the street account, and then it gets delivered to whichever practice um, it's it's going to. So, um, in terms of arrangements with drug companies, we have been just superbly supported. So, um, I mean, I did a lot of knocking on doors at the beginning, but um, people have been amazing. So we get um, support for vaccines and different drugs. So we get quite a lot of it donated and then the rest of it we, we purchase um, through, through the, the suppliers. Um, and in answer to the opioid question, we don't carry any control drugs. That's just, that's something we don't do because it's no. putting our, uh, you know, our volunteers at risk, but also our clients, because even if they're not gonna misuse it, they may, you know, run into somebody that, that might. So. And yeah. there's a no um, no control drug rule yeah. with street vet. So obviously, if animal needs to have something like that, they would be referred into a practice, and we would fund it. And if it was like orthopedic surgery, they would stay until you know we were happy that they didn't need that. Mm. Yeah. How 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 does it work? I mean, if you if you go out, you 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 have a say you you find a dog that has a pyometra or something mm -hmm. like that. Then obviously surgery is needed so where is that conducted how do you organize it then so um it's it's now becoming um well i want to say easier but then it's getting bigger it's easier because so many people have heard of us now and so many lovely practices want to help us um we've also um had some really amazing support from quite a few of the corporates as well um so essentially we have what I'm trying to do at the moment is build a directory of the UK practices so that we have a map and we're like, right, that practices understands how we work. They've got our guidelines and they're happy to work with us. But that's the whole of the UK. But let's say in London, Streetbet London, they see a pile. We've got at least five or six practices that we know we can contact um, and they are happy to, to see our patients. So we have um, a, you know, a taxi account for pet-friendly taxis, and we would organise it. The owner and the and the pet would be funded to get a taxi if they needed a taxi. Obviously, if they can get there themselves, they will. Um, and then we fund the treatment, and then the patient would have the surgery and be discharged back to the street vet team. So they would then see it for the follow-up treatments. I visited your um, your really <laughs> really good website, so that's uh, streetvet.co.uk. Um, and one thing I noticed also, you have for each of your sites, you have an um, Amazon wish list. I think that's that's really clever. So whatever the the the, the team would like to have, sort of people can actually yeah. purchase through Amazon. 
Mm. We did that because um, people were always saying they wanted to help, which is a lovely problem to have. Um, and so what the public like to be, as any of us, we want to be something, feel like we've been something specific. So, you know, mm. we have quite a lot of pets that need a buggy because they're geriatric and they're on the street um, just to help the owner to get about. So like if we put out a plea or ask for a buggy, like honestly, the public is bought by the next day. Like people are just so amazing. Um, we've just, so I don't know, we've got the accredited hostel scheme, um, which is about getting hostels to be pet friendly. So we launched that recently, but that we just put an Amazon wishlist together for our accredited hostels. Um, and yeah, the public, I think they, they bought everything on it, to be honest. So we, we're restocking it. <laughs> excellent yeah no it's also i think the idea is so good because it goes so quick that people say okay i want to help yeah well there's the amazon wish list you can help now <laughs> so yeah. just go in the wish list buy something off the wish list you have already ticked the box you have helped mm -hmm. yeah so that i mean it's it's, it's it's absolutely good yeah um uh, pets in every hostel so that is i think also quite important that because that has been a hindrance sometimes that uh, people who were sleeping rough didn't go into hostels because their pets were not allowed. And yet, I mean, you you can't, I don't know, leave your dog outside when you stay a night in the hostels. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, how did you manage that or how does that work? Sort of because, I mean, some hostels might, might have difficulties with pets, some pets. Mm -hmm might possibly not do very well in hostels i don't know it's it's quite varied to be fair and again it came down to i've never really thought about it and it was only when i was speaking to our clients and they were saying you know we get offered a room um and if we turn it down because we won't give up our pay we're termed voluntarily homeless which was something i had never even heard about i was just like okay so essentially you know they've ticked the box that they've offered your room but because you won't take it because of your dog, they kind of almost feel they've, you know, done their bit with you. Um, and I, yeah, ticked that box. And I was just like, oh my God, seriously. So I was like, okay, guys, right. We need to find out why, why are hostels not willing to take pets? What's the, what's the crux of this? And is there something that we can do to reassure them? So it kind of started off with things like, oh, if we gave you a crate, for the room would you take the pay if we you know gave you some leads would you you know and then we i came across this and you might you probably well heard of it but it's the perina better with pets prize um and it's a, a global competition um mm -hmm. where you can um put in to win money for a project that enhances the human animal bond so i found out about it on a friday and it had to be in by the monday and yeah. I'm just like, right, we've got to do this. Like, this is everything that we want to achieve is to, you know, enhance the human animal bond by keeping our clients with their pets. So, hmm. yeah, we entered um, and we won yeah. the money. Um, it was a busy weekend then, yes. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, the, the whole competition was quite a long process. It was really actually incredibly well done. And I got to meet some amazing people who were also doing projects in, in France and um, in Canada, amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we won the funding and that's when we were able to create the Street Bet Accredited Hostel Scheme. So it's essentially everything that we think we could think of um, that will make a hostel say yes to pets. So a lot of it is due to health and safety because I don't know if you've ever been into a hostel, but they can be quite chaotic. A lot of the time, the people who are working in them 
um, you know, have no experience with dogs or no experience with animals. They're trying to look after the people and then all of a sudden there's a dog in the mix. And um, I can understand why that would be really overwhelming. Um, they've also maybe had something that's gone wrong. So maybe a dog that stayed before and the owner got ill and the dog was just left or you know there's various things that that happen um or allergies or you know there's there's lots of things that people worry about but so we we provide um training course for staff so it's a online training and they do seven modules um and we for the, the hostel to be accredited we hope to get a member of staff that would be educated or trained on every shift so it's usually you know a fair number of the staff that have to do it we send out education materials to the hostel, signs, so dogs allowed here, not allowed here, always on a lead, all that kind of stuff. We've created the hostel policy. Um, so basically risk assessments, something about breeding, something about everything, like anything that we think could come up and cause an issue um, is, is sort of dealt with in that contract. Um, any of the pets are offered to be street vet registered, obviously. Um, so they would then get their veterinary care taken care of. Um, they get the 0800 number. We provide food. So the food will get delivered every month to the hostel for the pet. They get a pet pack, which has got like a bed and toys and bowls and all that kind of stuff. We install a telemedicine platform in the hostel um, so that they can, um, like I had an emergency once call me on Christmas day years ago, this poor like 18 year old girl in a hostel. And the dog had, well, I didn't know this at the time, but it had a ruptured pile and it had literally just collapsed in front of her. And she was just, she said, I've phoned everywhere and no one will help me. It's not my dog. I don't know what to do. And yeah, so we, I mean, I sort of said to myself at that point, like this needs to never happen again. Like that poor girl, um, the poor dog, the poor owner, like if you're accepting animals into hostel, you need to have a plan. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, we helped with that case but it was more the fact that yeah just the panic just you could just see she was probably going to quit her job the next day do you know what I mean just because it was just too much and um, to be expected to be responsible for um and then we do boarding as well so if uh an owner which in many situations they do not look after their own health because they won't leave their dog so I've seen so many owners that are long overdue going to get something for themselves treated um, because they won't leave the dog. So we offer boarding um, for those situations, but also if an owner was to go into rehab or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think I gave, gave you the 10 point scheme, I think. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you're covering really every aspect. It's also thinking about it. There are certain points I, I actually didn't consider. And yes, obviously, they're, they're, they're very, very sort of, important and serious. Um, you talked about health and safety. Uh, this is also something I was wondering. I mean, the thing is you, you are going to not the best areas of the town, mm. um, uh, then with a backpack full with medication equipment that might in itself sort of have some value, both commercial, but also then somebody who is on drugs might be very interested because they don't know what you have in the pack, but um, they might think there uh, will be something in there for me. Uh, um, how how do you handle that? Um, how, how, how big are the teams? I think nobody is going alone. No. Or, or, so or... 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, when I first tried to get insurance for street bet, you can imagine that was an interesting mm. conversation. And uh, nobody wanted mm. to insure it because you're talking mm. about dogs, street, public, medication. Um, mm. So, yeah, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that it's one of the great, when people get in touch with us wanting to volunteer, they want to understand, you know, do people ever feel uh, threatened or at risk or anything like that? And I guess... I mean, when I first went to street bet, I did go out on my own. Um, obviously, we do not do that now. Um, so it's a minimum of a two people, maximum of four. Um, so the thought is that someone's always with the backpack um, while the other person is obviously examining the dog. We do all have tablets now um, so that we can, because before we would do paper and then have to transfer it to our computer system afterwards. And we were finding, um, yeah, it's just, the volunteers are, you know, their time is precious. Um, so if they can write their notes at the time, it's easier, but they can also access the history as well. Um, so in terms of equipment, we don't really carry anything that's particularly worth a lot. Um, you know, it's a refractometer, thalmoscope, otoscope, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, I guess, from a health and safety point of view, the way we work is we're always paired with an outreach team or a soup kitchen. So you're in this kind of community um, and everybody looks out for everybody else. Um, and to be perfectly honest, the times where something kicks off, um, it's usually between nothing to do with the vets, something going on in another area of the soup kitchen. And what I've witnessed happening multiple times is our clients are like, get away from the street vets, you know, don't go anywhere, you guys move over here. And they just, they actually protect us more than anything else because they value what we do and we know them and you know they, they don't want the service not to happen so I, I have never had an experience where I've been ever felt at risk the only time and this is the honest truth that I've ever felt at risk was when I actually had a, a film crew out with me um, and they were I guess maybe not as experienced with dealing with our clients as they um, maybe implied um, and they did something and they shone a light in one of our clients' eyes and he had PTSD. And yeah. um, what then happened was incredibly mm. frightening. Um, mm. But they were like, Jade, you need to get out of the way, you need to get out of the way. And I was like, no, no, you need to get out of the way. I was like, you guys need to go, just leave me here with my client. I've known him for years. Um, you know, I'm not scared. Um, but what's happening here is, you know, you, you triggered him in a way that, you know, I didn't fully understand, but you guys didn't even think about. Um, so yeah, in answer to your question, I have never felt scared of our clients um, and I've never felt at risk in terms of the drugs or the medications, but, you know, we've always got to be mindful of it. We don't go out, we don't do anything. We don't go to people's rooms and hostels. It's always done, you know, in a public area. Um, and as I say, obviously we're never out um, on our own. And uh, the dogs themselves, you see, you, that I would assume that they're actually sometimes much better behaved than, than a lot of yeah. normal sort of uh, dogs you might see in practice. Because, I mean, what I often saw sort of, yes, it obviously doesn't look great if a dog sort of is sitting with the owner on the street. But then on the other hand, they have 24-7 
contact to their owner. They are moving around. These are often dogs that are, they, they, they socialize with other dogs then as well. So they are probably, a lot of them might be actually far more balanced from a, from a mental and I from mean, a behavioral point of view. There was only been one study. I'd love to do yeah. another one, but they did a study in 2016. Um, nothing to do with us, but um, and they compared dogs uh, living with owners experiencing homelessness versus insecure housing. And those dogs were found to be more mentally stimulated, um, less likely to suffer um, with um, obesity, although I'm not sure how I agree with that. Some of our clients, uh, yeah, their dogs get overindulged. Um, but in comparable health was was 100% what was found. But I think the biggest behavioral issues we see actually are to do with, um, they're actually not sometimes socialized that way with other dogs because they, you know, the, the owners are quite isolated. So obviously people are walking past, people are engaging with the dogs. The dogs are usually amazing with people but they're probably not as socialized with other dogs. So sometimes that's an issue. Um, but the other thing that we're now finding more so now that we've got the hostel scheme is separation anxiety, because obviously, as you say, 24 seven, and then the owners get a room and then they're able to leave the dog safely to go and do appointments or whatever. And the dogs are, yeah, not used to it at all. Yeah. Wow, that was really brilliant insight into the amazing work you do. So I mentioned already the website, so that's streetvet.co.uk. So if anybody is more interested in looking into this, or maybe UK viewers who um, colleagues, vets, nurses who would like to to support the work you're doing, I think that's probably a good starting point. Mm. Yeah. So from a volunteer, we're always looking for volunteers because mm. ultimately. You know what we ask of um, our volunteers is two hours a month um mm. so it's one outreach essentially a month yeah. um yeah. but you know one outreach and having people consistently there is what makes the difference so as i said i think before you know if you if you're looking to do charity work where you're going to see 20 30 40 dogs street bits not for you if you're looking to do something which is going to make a massive difference to a smaller number of, of animals and people um, and you know it's about building relationships and when I talk to our volunteers now most of them started because of the pet and now they're just as much invested with the person as they they are with the pets you get to know them um, really well you know some of them have been our clients for five six years um, now so um yeah so get in touch we can obviously um tell you more about it um if you are in the uk and you as long as you're on the register you can volunteer if you don't have your own insurance so if you're not in practice you're in research or academia or something we can cover you with our insurance um which was a barrier for some people at the beginning um so yeah get in touch and and we can we can see if you can get involved and if you are in another country and you want to think about picking our brains. If there's a project you were thinking about starting over there, then I'm delighted to help. So we've helped some people in Italy. There's two brilliant projects in France um, that I found out when I did the um, Purina uh, Better With Pets Prize. We're still in touch. Um, there's someone doing something in Australia. There's one in Canada. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Jade, thank you so much for oh, speaking to me today. Um, to Pleasure. all our listeners and viewers, if you would like to comment on this episode of uh, Fikava, I was just <laughs> I was about Fikava Street Red, no, not quite <laughs> to Fikava Bed Chat, then please uh, send us an email on bedchat at fikava.org. Um, I hope to see you soon again for another episode of Fikava Bed Chat. Take care. Bye-bye.